You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Amen. Well, it's great to be here this morning, but I want to come this morning just with a word, not, not a word of warning, just a, a word from God, something that I put, God put in my heart for all of us. And uh, it really begins with the idea that the church in the U.S. and the church in the West is really in a crisis. I mean, we're in a major crisis. Since 2015, nearly 100,000 churches have shut their doors in the United States. And uh, COVID-19, of course, has had a devastating effect. I, in fact, last Thursday, uh, today Sunday and on Thursday, I did a memorial service for a young man who passed away in our church from COVID-19. And, uh, and so what we're looking at in this season of time is really a post-Christian culture. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, you know, post-modernism, secularism, politics, materialism, apathy, and certainly self-absorption have become really the, the culture of the day. 80% of all churches are plateaued or in decline. That's an old statistic, still true. 20% of churches are actually growing, and only 1% of churches in the West, in the United States, are growing like this church is right here by new converts, by people coming to Christ and being discipled. And so I believe that the stage is real set for a move of God, not only in our individual churches, but in our country. And this morning, I want to speak to that a little bit. We're going to be looking at the church in Ephesus. And we're going to begin in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and, uh, and looking at really uh, Paul's thoughts toward the Ephesus church. And I'll explain that in just a moment. So Paul is writing in Timothy to his spiritual son about the church in Ephesus, of which he is the pastor. And, uh, and so Paul himself founded the church in A.D. 53, uh, he didn't stay very long, but he left a core group of people, some of his entourage there, to look after the church, to lay the groundwork for growth until he returned. And then one year, one year later, he's, he's, we find a record of this in Acts chapter 18, verse 19. And when Paul came to Ephesus, he left his crew there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a little longer with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. But I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed that day from Ephesus. Now, one year later, we find out that he returns to Ephesus. And this time, it's a part of his third missionary journey. And he sets up a camp there, an abode there. And, uh, and so for the next 30 months, Paul lays the foundation begins to build the structure of the greatest church in the ancient world. I mean, you can imagine having a church that is, uh, has been founded by the greatest apostle of the New Testament. And uh, you can imagine uh, the emphasis they have on the Word of God there, the emphasis they have on the Spirit of God, the emphasis they would have there on really on the structure of the church, of making disciples, of dealing with character issues, and of really promoting the gospel. And so, Paul was amazing. We found out in just one chapter later, Acts 19, that he returned to Ephesus in 54 AD, living there for 30 months. And there in Ephesus, he built the greatest church of the ancient world. Twenty-two churches in Asia Minor were planted out of this church in a very, very short period of time. And so, from his imprisonment in Rome nine years later, 
Paul is writing this letter. He's writing this letter to Timothy and about the church in Ephesus. And I want to take a look at that scripture here, and we're going to revisit it in just a few minutes. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, here is Paul's warning to his spiritual son. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. This warning, if it wasn't bad enough, is reiterated several years later uh, in the book of Revelation. Jesus himself warns the church at Ephesus and prophesies over the consequence of their own disobedience. And so Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, gives us a record of that. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works. Watch this now. He's bragging on the church. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know that you cannot bear with those who are evil. I know you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not. You found them liars. I know you've persevered. I know you have patience. I know you've labored for my main, uh, namesake, and I know that you haven't become weary. That's a pretty good checklist to go down for any church, right? I mean, it's an amazing thing. Nine things here that I want to tell you about your church, Ephesus, that are really, really good. Nine things here that are really, really amazing. And, and so he, he starts this letter, this prophetic word to the, to the church in Ephesus by saying, you guys have been exemplary in so many things. You've been amazing in so many things. And the way that you've labored, the way that you've worked, the attitude that you've had, the spirit that you've had there, it's been amazing. It's been amazing of the churches that you've planted, the disciples you've made, how you have impacted the ancient world. Absolutely amazing. But verse 4 says, nevertheless, anytime you see that in Scripture, it's always the more. That God always has more for you. He's got more for you than those nine great things that you're doing. And this morning, if we could kind of get our eyes and our mind off of this ancient church that was 2,000 years old in Ephesus and think about the church today, Awaken Church in San Diego, California, is it possible that somehow, some way, we might miss the warning that he has for us too? Nevertheless, he says, I have this against you. I'm opposed to you in this. It's like two opponents, two opponents with, with weapons going against each other. He says, I have this, he says, I have this against you, that somehow, some way, you've left your first love. Yeah, I, I, I know your works. I get it, your labors. I see that you're patient. I know that you hadn't wanted to deal with those false apostles, you run them off. I see all that. But there's something at the core you missed. And that is the relationship you had with Jesus when you first got born again. The passion that you had for him. The love that you had for him. The desire to, to, to let everything else go. And to take that greatest prize, that pearl. You've left your first love. 
Verse 5 says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. You were at the pinnacle. When we started this church, it was about the love that you had for Jesus and the love that you had for one another. And over time, you've done some really awesome things. And there's some really amazing things about your organization. But you fell from something. You had a relationship, a love affair, and you fell. Repent and do the first works. Go back to the way it was when you first knew me. Do the first works. He says, or else I will come quickly and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He's speaking to the greatest, most significant church in the ancient world. He says, in the spirit, there's a lampstand. It is the influence and the light that you've brought not only to the city of Ephesus, but to cities all over Asia Minor and all over the world. That there'll be people reading this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians for ages to come. That the church in Ephesus will be spoken of widely and greatly in great verbose terms. But there's something going on that is a problem. And if it doesn't get dealt with, the influence that you had in the state, in the nation, and in the world, that influence will be pulled away from you. And the light that you once have, it won't be there anymore. It won't be there anymore. I want to tell you, this didn't take place overnight. This didn't take place overnight. Church was established in 54. A.D. In 62 A.D., he writes this letter. And uh, and there in 95 A.D., even Jesus got in on it. 110 A.D., that's 15 years after John writes the book of Revelation. We have a record of Bishop Ignatius, who was a disciple of the Apostle John, who actually wrote Revelation. He wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus, and we've got evidence of that in 110 A.D. But within a very few years after receiving that letter, the greatest, most significant ancient church on the planet no longer existed. It's gone. It was gone. How could the Ephesians misunderstood? How was it that they ignored Paul's warning? How was it that they couldn't see the specific prophecy that Christ had over this magnificent church? How was it that they missed it? Well, I think the answer is found back there in 1 Timothy. If we go back to that passage, 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, and let's dive in this time a little bit deeper. Let's go a little bit deeper. It starts with the word now. Now is indicative of the place that God lives. He is a God of the now. He lives in the present. He doesn't live in the past. He doesn't live in the future. He lives in the present. He's a God of the now. Anytime you see now, it is an invitation to join God in that word, in that place, right in the very moment, because that's where God meets you. That's where he is. The Bible says now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you're going to walk in faith, you've got to walk in the presence of God, in the present tense. You've got to walk in that. So he begins this by saying now, and in other, words, in other words, pay attention. This is not something for next week, next month, or next year. Now, he says, the Spirit expressly says, 
The Spirit expressly says, this is not P, uh, uh, Paul writing and just kind of giving his thoughts, his ideas. Uh, he didn't get with the council at Jerusalem and say, well, you know what, we need to talk to Timothy about all this. He's saying, whoa, now in this very moment, it is the Spirit of God who's speaking. And he expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Well, this idea expressly says is translated from a Greek word, restos. Restos is like a first cousin to the Greek word we know more commonly is rhema. So restos is a rhema word clearly and unmistakably spoken. Don't be fooled. So when it says he expressly says, he's saying that this is a revelation from the throne room of heaven. I want to be super clear about it so that you don't miss what's about to happen here. The Spirit says, expressly says that in latter times, in latter times, that word latter is not the word eschatos. Because when you first read it, you're thinking, well, this, what Paul's talking about is the end of time. And at the end of time, people will be bailing out of the church right and left so they don't have to take the mark of the beast, so they don't have to uh, do this or do that. They'll be bailing out. This is not what he's talking about in latter times. The Greek word here, is not eschatos, but it's eusteros. And the word means extreme, extreme. The word times here is not chronos, the moment, but it means a season. So when Paul says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, what he's saying is there are extreme seasons coming for this church. Extreme seasons that are coming for this church. Times are going to get tough. Things are going to become extreme. Things are going to happen. And in the clearest and most direct language that Paul can use, he's saying there's an extreme and difficult season coming ahead for the church. Now, brothers and sisters, we, I, look, if we're not in an extreme difficult season, we're getting close, baby. <laughs> we are getting close. In the world, there is revival going on. China, there's a major move of God. The tighter that the government cracks down on them, the more prolific the church becomes in China. The fastest growing church on the planet is in the nation of Iran. The tighter the government presses them, the more signs and wonders and miracles the church sees. North Vietnam is seeing a move of God. Places that you never would expect are seeing move. In the Middle East, it's amazing what's happening in the Arab nations of the Middle East. God's moving in powerful, powerful ways. But he's not so much here. Why is that? Why is that? Some will depart from the faith. That word depart there is not the Greek word apostasia, apostasize. It's, it's when, you, when you apostate, it means you step away from your place. When someone is apostate, they once were walking with God and in office with God, but they pushed away. They no longer walk with God. They've abandoned him. They've abandoned their post. So if the word here for depart had been apostasia, 
it would mean that the church would abandon, reject, or push away from God. They'd become rebels. But that's not the word. The word here is a fistimi. It means to shrink back, to retreat, to slip back, to slip away from God. And now, so he's saying that what? The church doesn't become a bunch of rebels that have pushed away from God and left their post. No, what happens is when the church departs from its faith is that they've shrunk back from engaging the culture. They're not rebels. They're cowards. So the church will depart from its faith. Doesn't mean that there's a day coming where everybody's going to say, I'm out of here. I quit. I, I, can't, I can't take this anymore. No, no, it's just going to be a day where everybody's still getting together. Everybody's still doing the churchy stuff. Everybody's still looking good. But the lampstand has been pulled away. The influence has been left because we refused to engage the culture. Refused to engage the culture. Shrinking back to the things that are politically correct. Shrinking back to things that are morally wrong. Not willing to make a stand for the Word of God and for our faith. Substituting religion for faith. Good works for repentance and tolerance for righteousness. That's what it means to depart from the faith. It's not rebellion. It's not a rejection. But it's a slow, protracted season of shrinking back from engaging the culture with the gospel. Here's a few examples for today. Church is seen as an add-on activity. By most, it's like having a hobby to many people. If they can make it, they can make it. They can't, they can't. Abortion, it's not a child, it's a choice. Drugs, they're not poison, it's medicine. Gender identity is not determined by your anatomy at birth, but it will change your anatomy to match your choice. We just change it. Race. We're going to teach your children to hate each other. Moral leadership. Many more now look to politicians, scientists, Madison Avenue, Hollywood, Wall Street, and even their social media accounts to find moral leadership. And what you see is you see politicians and scientists and these kind of folks standing and speaking before the nation lies in hypocrisy. Having, watch this now, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And where's the church? Oh, we're not meeting this week because we have to wear a mask. We live in a time where being politically correct is more important than being righteous. Where Christians have been labeled a community of bigots. And where we're coming to, brothers and sisters, is that someone can stand in church, open his Bible, and begin to read it and preach what it says, be convicted for civil rights violations and hate speech. You think it's a long way off? It's already happening. It's already going. That's the time, the extreme times that we 
that we live in. But God. God's raising up amazing leaders. He's raising up people. He's raising up amazing churches. Amazing churches like Awaken Church. Been called to raise up and awaken a sleeping army of people. Raising up the Matesses and the Heinrichs. Building a church on a rock-solid foundation of God's Word. So here's what you've got at Awakened Church. You may not be aware of it, but after today, you will be aware of it. Here's what you've got. You've not got a church that has shrunk back. In fact, you've got just the opposite. You've got churches that hey, we're moving forward. COVID-19 hit. We decided, let's buy another campus. Now would be the time about just Let's just go. Let's just go. Let's go. This is our moment. All this crazy stuff has done nothing but create awesome opportunities for us. So here's what you got. Three powerful characteristics of a church that will not shrink back. Number one is the presence of God. Don't ever compromise. Don't ever give in. Don't ever let off. That's what we're here for is the presence of God. That when you walk in the doors of this building, you get on the parking lot of this building, you walk through the doors and come into this spot, space here, you're coming in here, you sense something's different about what's going on here. Not sure. Can't put my finger on it. Lots of pretty people, but it's something else. It's something else. It's the presence of God. Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, the word came to you in power in the Holy Spirit. So it was preached, not just preached to be preaching. It had the power of God on it, the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 2.4, Paul said, when I came to you, I came to you in power and demonstration of the Spirit. Why? So your faith would rest upon the power of God and not on the wisdom of men. Mark 16.20 Jesus confirms the word by signs and wonders that follow that word. So it's the presence of God is the first characteristic that we cannot let go of. It's that first love. It's that passion that we have for the person of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, I just say this to you in humility and meekness. Don't ever, don't ever Fall away from keeping the main thing the main thing. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. It's great to have a socially active church, to have everybody in here on, knowing the facts and knowing what's going on, but don't ever mistake that for the main thing. The main thing is having God's presence in this place and a love affair with Jesus Christ. Second characteristic of a church that does not shrink back is teaching and believing the Word of God. The Bible says that the grass will wither, the flower will fade, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will never pass away. Jesus said, my Word is spirit and it's life. And you live and come in here every morning just thinking this is normal. This ain't normal. You got the best preachers on the planet sitting right here on the front row. 
preaching the Word of God to you guys with power. They're not bringing in some sermon.com sermon when they come in here. Bringing the Word of God to you. So this is a moment to hear that Word, respond to it, embrace it, take a bath in it. It's awesome stuff. You need the Word to affirm and confirm the moving of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Read your Bible. Read it. Read it. Pastor Yuri got me started three years ago on reading a one-year Bible. And it's been one of the great blessings of my spiritual life. I love it. Every day I'm in there. It only takes 15 minutes or so. It doesn't, it's not, but it's so powerful. I've seen so much new stuff over the last three years as I've read that. It's been amazing. Got to be like the Bereans, the Berean believers. Hear what's preached and search the scriptures to make sure they're so. And finally, number three, the third characteristic of a church that doesn't shrink back are disciples who make disciples. Disciples who make disciples. I want to encourage you to be all in. Encourage you to be all in. You know, as pastors, we meet all kinds of people who come to our churches. You know, but when you meet somebody who's all in, that's a special moment. That's a moment to say, wow. Because there's so many distractions, so many things that pull our time, our resources, our money. To find somebody who's all in is an amazing thing. And someone who's all in commits to becoming a disciple, a son, a daughter in the house. Someone who carries the voice and the word that they hear on Sunday morning out to the community. Somebody who's so committed to being a disciple in the house. And as they grow and mature, they begin then to disciple others. And this is what happens in a church that doesn't shrink back. That there are generation after generation after generation of disciple makers. Not just attenders, not just gawkers, not just looking around and seeing how awesome everything is. No, it's people who are all in. Who are all in. Who are powered by a love affair with Jesus Christ. Who love Him with all their heart. Those kind of people are unstoppable. And you know what else? They're unshrinkable. They're not going to shrink back. Can somebody say amen to that? I want you to think just a minute, because as I was preparing this message and I was going over that passage, Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, nevertheless, I have this one thing against you. Just that one thing's enough to torpedo the whole ship. Just that one thing is enough to have the lampstand, the influence, and the light that you are in the community pull back. Just that one thing also has the power to propel you into greatness for God. But you got to be all in. You got to be all in. You can't be 95% in, 98% in. Most of the time I'm in. You got to be all in. All in in your relationship with the Lord. All in with your relationships here. Bearing fruit out there, wherever you work, whatever you do. See, the objective of Christianity is not to get you to the front row. 
the objective of this church is to get you empowered to go out into this city and change the world. And change the world. That's the objective. That's the objective. Come on, let's all stand. Let's give the Lord a big hand. He's awesome. He loves you. And he wants to have that dynamic, powerful relationship with you. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.